Welcome to Packet Pushes Heavy Networking. There's one aspect of SD-WAN that surprises me is that many enterprises are just slow to adopt it. Talking with people just tells me that there's diverse reasons and often just downright roadblocks and self-interested advice from existing suppliers that stop you from moving forward. And that's normal business. The art of network architecture, if you will, is to determine the right truth that fits the business that you work for. And in today's sponsored show with Palo Alto Networks, we are diving into Prisma SD-WAN, the SD-WAN and SASE product line, but with a difference. Joining us is Yorgi Stuve. He is from salesforce.com, a household name. And Yorgi is the senior network architect and a key part of the team that operates the Palo Alto Networks SD-WAN for Salesforce. And he'll be talking about his actual experiences with SD-WAN over the last seven years. That's right. He's been operating an SD-WAN network for seven years. And as you'll hear at the end of the show, he barely even remembers what it was like. At this point, the journey has not been pretty smooth for him. And riding shotgun is Kuma Ramachandran, who is the Senior Vice President at Palo Alto Networks and leading their push into the SD-WAN and SASE space. So let's get straight into it. So Yogi, kick it off for a little bit. Just set us some background about who is Salesforce and what does the network architecture there look like? Is it all just data center or is there a big WAN there? Absolutely. Well, uh, good day, everyone there. Salesforce, just a few words on it, in 1999, four Salesforce founders working in a small apartment in San Francisco launched a CRM system with an unusual twist. All data and software would be hosted on the internet and made available as a subscription service. As we all know it today, this pioneering software as a service became a predominant model, what we're using today, and spread around the industry. I guess um, 20 Three years later, uh, fast forward, we're at about 60,000 people, 210 billion valuation and growing. So yeah, we are uh, becoming a big company. Uh, again, still uh, there is a lot of uh, startup culture in the company, but it is uh, for all intensive purposes, a big enterprise nowadays. So you say startup culture, that just means run and gun. So that means growing fast, uh, changing, and there's also a lot of technical technology savvy, you know, a lot of power users, a lot of capabilities. So people imagine that they know the right way to do things. You bet. There, <laughs> you're totally correct. And there is a lot of uh, smart people. We do have two parts of the organization. One is dealing with the product and production part, and the other is more the enterprise the corp IT side. Mm-hmm. And on both sides, there is very, very um, highly capable, technical, smart people. That makes it a, a pretty, <laughs> a pretty tough job as a network architect, because everybody wants to tell you what they think. I guess the question, let's start off with the SD-WAN discussion. Now, prior to SD-WAN, of course, you would have been using a traditional MPLS network with the private circuits and the dedicated bandwidth. Is that basically the model? And then I guess the question is, that's where you came from. What drove you to consider changing that to an SD-WAN setup? Absolutely. Um, About seven years ago, um, we were, yes, we were a traditional MPLS VPN with uh, remote offices, hub and spoke setup. Um, Our, I'll jump into what made us consider moving is we had offices with 10, 20, 50 megabits per second, sometimes 100, 200, but again, the the bandwidth was uh, not ideal for high-powered developers who had really high bandwidth at home. Even at that time, fiber was happening at home. So the running joke was they have uh, sometimes better bandwidth at home than the office. So 
Um, obviously, this was embarrassing um, to say the least. Um, mm. There is, yeah. So there were many other things we were working on. Another one was security. Uh, Salesforce is one of the companies that has focused a lot on security in my career, uh, very heavily, again, focused and um, regarded. It's a number one value in the company. So our requirement was to encrypt all WAN transport. That was yeah. another thing that we did not have so easy capability. That's interesting. Let me, let me jump in on that because encryption over your private WAN service is not something we've normally done. It's sort of assumed from a security point of view that it's secure. You're making the the assumption, I think, or making the security policy that MPLS is not safe and therefore should be encrypted, or is it just a standard policy that consistency everywhere is better? Um, it is both in, to some extent. Um, yes, it is private network in general. We've assumed that is secure. Uh, that said, is security is all relative, right? So um, yes, it is not internet, but for intensive purposes, as we all know, a lot of carriers carry that in a separate VRF on the same circuits on their network. So there are possible errors that can happen that you think your traffic can be leaked, but that said is also with uh, crafty penetration attacks and things like this are, I mean, possible to do exfiltration even from private networks. So again, as I said, Salesforce is really, really focused on security and hence the so private it's, circuits. It's, yeah, It's not so much, I've always thought of it, not so much that MPLS is insecure, it's not provably secure is one angle. And the second angle was always that end-to-end -end encryption means it fits any type of network, whether it's over the internet, whether it's over a private data center connection, whether it's over a rented circuit from a third party, you've got a consistent security policy everywhere, regardless of where it is. So it's kind of those two things. That's correct. And there are a bunch of obviously requirements and certifications that Salesforce has to go through for some highly sensitive clients and all that. And that also requires all our data to be encrypted. Mm. And I want to come back to uh, one thing, which is the bandwidth. So you're literally saying that you couldn't get enough bandwidth out of the MPLS network, like you couldn't get gigabit and 10 gigabit sort of things, but people were getting gigabit to the home. And it's kind of, there was an imbalance there in the, between the consumer and the enterprise market. Absolutely. Um, obviously, I mean, it's a different type of circuits and SLAs and all that, but just purely bandwidth perspective, it is, um, I mean, at home people had much higher bandwidth than you could do um, in enterprise environment. That said, you can do it in enterprise environment. It just became prohibitively expensive. So Kumar, we've touched on here some of the classic reasons around SD-WAN about why traditional WAN architecture is good enough. Is there some sort of perspective that you take when working with customers like Salesforce here? Yeah, when we look at the WANs, right, I think they've gone through this quite rapid evolution where we had this traditional old WAN architecture that was really data center centric, right? You had a, data, a bunch of data centers, branches hanging off of them, typically via MPLS, if you wanted cloud or internet access, you still went to your data center and then you escaped out there. And then we've had, you know, what I call the you know, Gen 1 or, or uh, the, the first iteration of uh, SD-WAN where we started saying, okay, let's start incorporating broadband into the solution mix and let's, uh, you know, provide layer three capabilities to really be able to incorporate broadband in an effective manner. And to varying degrees, there were... Uh, 
you know, different abilities of uh, enabling layer seven or application-based uh, performance management, if you will. Mm. Uh, and then where we are now headed as an industry really is this third uh, important phase, which is truly treating the branch as decoupled from the data center. There is exactly zero reason for many customers why the branch should be uh, completely dependent on data center access, especially when the application delivery model for so many customers is truly becoming multimodal, right? Where it's, mm. it's data center, it's SaaS, it's public cloud, et cetera. So you, all of a sudden you now need network and security to be fluidly invoked at the branch while enabling as direct as possible paths. So when you look at this evolution, where, where we see a lot of customers, uh, you know, there's still some customers uh, making the migration from the older traditional WAN architecture. And uh, Yorgi described uh, several of the challenges you face, right, with those uh, older architectures. Uh, I think even with uh, the Gen 1 of SD-WAN attempts, what happened for many of these customers really is that what they found after getting into the depths of deployment is that if what you're really deploying is a, you know, a, a slightly different router still based on layer three constructs, then the levels of automation, the levels of simplification that they truly expect and need when you're going into, into this hybrid uh, application delivery model just wasn't there. So when you talk about automation, you're not talking about Python scripts and, you know, or some sort of low code. You're actually talking about, I configure this circuit, set up some policy, and then I load balance across available band. That's the sort of automation you're talking about, right? Yeah, I think, you know, the level of automation that I think is now possible in a well-designed environment is truly that you're taking advantage of the power of data science to mm. automate large swaths of activities that required manual interventions. Let me make a very bold statement uh, to our audience here. If you think about the last 30 or 40 years of IT, right, we've always operated un under the assumption that our network admins, et cetera, they have to be deep in the weeds, uh, working through all kinds of data operational issues that everything requires a manual intervention. Uh, if there's a tag case, you'll go through the whole tag, go fetch game, go fetch your logs, go fetch your packet traces, try to do problem identification, resolution, and then have a whole bunch of manual resolutions uh, around it all of which is such a drain on productivity. I think that with the ability of modern systems to actually monitor, you know, have very powerful observability, the ability to have massive data lakes and actually crunch data in real time at line speed and be able to provide actionable results, I think this paradigm is going to change on its head. Kumar, this is... <laughs> Dude, you're killing me right now. There's so much you're saying. Okay, we got to go back to something that maybe was three, four, five minutes back. You said decoupled. That is my edge sites, my spoke sites, and my hub sites, my data center head headquarters sites do not need to be. There's no reason you said that they need to be connected anymore. Okay, what about SD-WAN is letting me accomplish that? Because architecturally, philosophically, they're very much coupled. I have a security paradigm I've got to deliver. And so somehow I've got to do that. So, so, so make your point. Do you just mean physically that they're decoupled? Yeah. So what I mean when I say that branches are decoupled from the data center is that I need to, yes, I need connectivity, right? I need universal connectivity coming out of my branch, but I, and I also need my security stack to pretty much be applied to every flow that comes in or out of my branch. Uh, the traditional model was that I'll 
build my security stack, deploy it in the data center, and that defines the coupling, right? I have to, to ensure that my traffic is secured, I have to process it through my data center with my security stack there before I exit. Now, what we're doing is saying, actually, we can deliver your data center security stack as a massively distributed edge service. And SD-WAN, when integrated with that massively distributed edge security service, it can work based on policy. Once you specify the policy for, secu of, for security, for compliance, for uh, networking that you really want your application flow to have, then it's the function of the SD-WAN device to elegantly integrate with that massively distributed edge security system so that you've decoupled yourself from the data center. And we're not backhauling all of our traffic from the branch back into headquarters to get those inspection services. You, you, as you put it, distributed edge, you're pushing those security services all out to the edge. So it's, it's decoupled in a sense of what my traffic patterns are now. I don't have to backhaul them to central locations. I can do it all in the edge is the point you're making. So I still have a coupled security policy. Yes. What you're doing is you're decoupling topology from policy. The fact that we intertwine topology and policy inextricably in traditional networks and in genuine SD-WANs is a problem, right? Because then the only way you know policy is implemented is you need this endless investigation of your topology. What we've done is we've said you can decouple policy and topology. So now you're, once you specify your policy, the system can ensure that policy is being enforced irrespective of where your application in an as direct path to the application as possible. So Georgi, um, when we say against the background of what Kumas told us here with that picture of the technology stack, so what made you then say, okay, the MPLS doesn't matter, isn't making it for me. I'm not getting the bandwidth. I'm not getting the flexibility and I'm not getting the security that I want. What were the challenges when you started to look and started to engage with SD-WAN that you had to face up to? Some of the challenges were mindset was mm -hmm. one of the big ones. Again, um, we had a bunch of CCAs and highly skilled individuals used to use CLI and uh, configure routing protocols and everything. And looking at a solution with control plane in the cloud and you don't touch too much the box. You, mm -hmm. you have all the tools in a central location and central control plane. It was that, that <laughs> I was love it. You've of, got this entirely flexible network that you're frightened to actually be flexible with. Yes, indeed. <laughs> See, it, it is a tough challenge. I mean, and like one other thing that I didn't mention earlier was a huge requirement for us was application-based routing. We wanted to be able to route some applications to a cloud provider, some application to a third party, some application through our hub locations. So long story short is your, the solution that we picked was obviously application aware routing capable. And that was very scary for people that are used to configure route policies, BGP neighbors and all that. And now you're yeah. configuring an application. Well, that scares me. Everything I've used historically that was doing application identification was kind of, eh, it worked-ish. And so to actually commit to a routing scheme based on application is frightening. Although obviously you're talking to us about it. So I assume it's worked pretty well for you. Yes. And I must say, I mean, there were some hiccups, obviously application recognition is a, it's a science and it's constantly evolving, but it has worked in a, you know, 
in a workable way where we actually are using it and we are able to distinguish between, let's say, two Google applications, route Google Docs one way and route Google Mail another way. That is a pretty substantial jump. So you're not just routing by IP address and port number, of course, and you're not even routing by the TLS header. So sometimes you can just look at the TLS header and say, oh, that's google.com and I'm going to route that out. You're actually getting much deeper into the application awareness and saying, Google Docs, yeah, that's okay. Google Mail, I need to log Google Mail to meet certain financial compliance regulation, you know, compliance regime. So I'm actually going to say Google Docs is okay, but I need to send all email, Google Gmail through a filter so I can capture it. That's, that's what you're talking about? That's exactly what I'm talking about. We did have specific requirements internally to send some Google applications through additional checks and some some applications directly to internet. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we could not do that with uh, our old router technology. No, and Google's not going to give you a list of IP addresses that are guaranteed to work. I want to come back to the encryption question. Um, you did the encryption on the WAN before security reasons and often related to regimes or regulatory requirements. Did you have a hard fight getting uh, the security people to come on board with SD-WAN and the encryption as meeting the requirements? Or was it, you know, what was that story like? Yeah, I mean, we have very extensive security reviews in the company. We have red teams. We have a bunch of, again, security teams looking from different different perspectives. So they had to thoroughly check the system. We worked with the vendor. They did pen testing. That um, They did a, a lot of review of the configuration, access, encryption. All pieces were thoroughly reviewed and evaluated and tested. And they passed our, again, our requirements and their requirements. So it was a it was a process. Absolutely. It was a new technology for them too. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to make sure that they check everything thoroughly. So this is one of the weird things where SD-WAN can actually rotate the keys on the fly without any specific configuration. It's one of my favorite features. Yes, they had that requirement for us, and we we had to to stitch a bunch of things together before to use to do it with yeah. our old technology, and mm. this was a relief for us. Right, I got to jump in on this one because uh, you know I think this is a very foundational transformation that sometimes gets lost in the marketing speak from all vendors, right? Us uh, very much probably included, where the foundational shift with a properly designed next gen SD WAN solution is that it is not a layer three routing stack. It is a layer three through layer seven routing stack. Mm. So if you think about it, the number of devices traditionally in the environment that do layer three through layer seven are pretty close to zero, right? I think some of the load balancers came close to being layer four through layer seven devices. In a next-gen SD-WAN solution, that is a foundational shift. And, And the interesting thing here is once you're doing application recognition, you can extend it into things like application fingerprinting. You were talking before about the AI or the machine learning capability that automates application identity. And now you can actually say, oh, I see that. That's a Google Doc. And I know that because you're you're not doing it because you rang up Google and said, what IP addresses are you on this week? You're actually fingerprinting the flows and various pieces of metadata to get to that, right? That's right. So when we think about AIML and the ability to actually use AIML in a modern next-gen SD-WAN stack, it starts from relying on a layer four through or layer three through seven approach, right? Mm-hmm. Which is there is application fingerprinting, there is a deep understanding of the application handle. And as the discussion that you guys were having, it has to go all the way to not just the app level, but app and sub-app level, right? So you, you can know it's 
it's Office 365, is it email, is it uh, documents, et cetera. And yeah. once you have that, then you have the ability to gather information at both layer three and layer seven, right? right. And you can build out this massive data lake, which then sets you up for doing interesting things, whether with AI ML, and I know Ethan, you, uh, you, you and Greg love AI and ML, but I still uh, also like uh, good old regressions, correlations, traditional yeah, that's right. yeah. methods. A lot it's of it is just statistics. I prefer <laughs> thinking about this as a data science-based approach rather yeah. than just the newest buzzword. I, I think the interesting part about that is that automation comes in many forms. It's not always Ansible and Python. Sometimes it's um, just a feature inside the product. Like if you look at it correctly, even simple routing protocols where automation, they just... Uh, they weren't sufficient automation for the generations that we move through today. That's just why I don't dismiss IP routing protocols out of hand. I just say that they're obsolete automations quite often. So Yogi, I want to ask you a little bit about how did you come to choose the Palo Alto SD-WAN product? What was it about it that set it aside? Because no doubt you evaluated a bunch of them, but this is the one that you went with. And you, you went with it quite early in, this, in, the, in the cycle. You weren't, this isn't something you've done in a couple of years ago. You've been at this for seven years now. Indeed, uh, we started around 2014 um, looking at the space and uh, evaluate, evaluating where we want to go with it. Um, again, as it was very early in the SD-WAN journey, uh, we did evaluate our existing vendors. At that time, we did not find a good match or good solution that they were offering. We started looking, obviously, who is the leader. At that time, we evaluated a few of the uh, companies. They were all startups at that time. And um, mm. that was actually a little bit of a challenge for us. Again, we, I mean, it's Fortune 500 company. We do work with solid vendors and um, people are, I mean, they're very risk, big risk takers. At the same time, when you start talking about connecting offices and connectivity, you have to make sure obviously the network works, right? You right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it, it has to be a balance there, uh, how much, how new it is and how much it works. But anyway, going back to the evaluation. Yeah. So we did, uh, at that time it was early in the game. We evaluated everybody actually that claimed they had a, uh, SD1 solution at that time, many mm -hmm. people claimed actually, uh, the old, uh, more like WAN optimization companies, they put a few kind of stitches on their solution and they claimed that it was an SD-WAN and same same for existing vendors. They claimed also they had an SD-WAN. So there are a lot to unpack there, but we found that there were few actually people that were serious about it and actually had more of a different approach from the ground up, not just uh, put a quick patch on their existing solution. And CloudGenix at that time, today the um, Prisma SD-WAN Mm -hmm. was one of the solutions that we evaluated together with another one that were the kind of the winners for us. And we heavily tested both. And um, yeah, we... So, so seven years later, you're still talking about it in public. I guess that's been a long road. Has the migration been fairly straightforward? Like sometimes a technology, like I'm not saying it's pain-free. It's going to be that migrating away from MPLS, putting an overlay network, juggling paths and stuff. Seven years later, you're still out here in public talking about it, which indicates it was a success, of course. Has it really been painless or just a, a process of evolving and keeping it going? Yeah, I'm, I have to be honest. At the beginning, it was unsettling and unsettling, in a, again, as I said earlier, a little bit more in psychological and habits ways rather than actually logistics and technology. Uh, it was 
again, it was very different um, from traditional routing type of device. We, mm-hmm. we had to retrain our way of thinking. Once we did that, the rest was, um, was much easier. The logistical piece, sending devices to and zero touch provisioning was much easier. Obviously, the operations of the whole network was much easier with one control plane. It was so easy. People started forgetting how to do it because, again, it literally was <laughs> was working. I mean, it's, yes. That's a, that's a new take. Let, let's dive into that because that's not something I've normally. So what you're referring to there, I think, is the fact that the SDN controller is cloud-based. And it's it's and we've talked about this idea that automation isn't always about Python or or configuration or scripts or whatever. Sometimes it's just something does what it's supposed to do in its own automated autonomous way, just does it itself. That's sort of what you're alluding to. Yes, um, it is. It is definitely. We've definitely also looked at the automation piece. What you're talking about, the traditional like deployment automation, Python, and all that. But it was more the overall process from literally from from ordering circuits, shipping, configuration, zero touch provisioning, day one, day two operations, and uh, fine tuning later, uh, deployment of changes. I like I upgrade software upgrades. Again, as well, I mean, whoever has been in the industry long enough knows the pain of those things. Mm-hmm. Every, all of these became so easy. I can deep dive into any of these uh, to bring more details. But again, um, easy to the extent of like, as I was joking that uh, we started not hearing much, you know, like sometimes when you hear less, you, you forget about that technology. And usually in a networking world means that it's actually working. You you mean people weren't calling you to say things. Why is this slow today? You weren't hearing that. That's exactly. In fact, like, as I said earlier, we increased our bandwidth, um, you know, five to 10 times uh, for the same cost. And it, we stopped hearing about bandwidth before. I mean, in our world, as you know, it's like in the in the infrastructure world, you don't usually hear, wow, it's amazing, right? You usually, the why it's amazing means that you don't hear anything. <laughs> so th- th- there's a bandwidth point that's worth, we've made it before talking about SD-WAN, right? The fact that you can go from a lower bandwidth MPLS to higher bandwidth broadband, and it really does make a difference. But there's still people that are thinking, yeah, but isn't the bandwidth I get from my MPLS private circuit going to be such better quality that even if it's less bandwidth, it's going to perform better? And what you're saying is that's not the case. Bandwidth is bandwidth and that matters. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to be honest, we did have those doubts too. Early in the game, even our management was kind of really weary about putting our developers and high core business on like internet circuits. And I must say that we had initially designed few of the offices with one internet and one private circuit, more just point to point, not the MPLS circuit, just because we were not sure ourselves. I mean, we had some data, but again, this was very, very big change for us. And there was not that much data in the industry at that time. So, so the, you're also talking about branch networks with hundreds of developers in a high-rise building on multiple floors are using SD-WAN today. That is correct. Right. Yeah. And five times a bandwidth for the same money. Yes. I mean, is it, I mean five is relative. I mean, it could be five to 10, but yes, about that. <laughs> five to 10. 
not just five, five to 10. Yeah. It's because like it depends I, on the markets, you know, like some markets, it's very different pricing. Like if you go in Asia pack or EMEA or Latin America. So yeah, it is different, but yeah. And what about one, one angle that I've just recently sort of been thinking a lot about is also the fact that you don't need a telco provider giving you permission to connect somewhere. So when you go to a new building, you just go and find some bandwidth. You don't have to beg a vendor's permission to connect the building up and wait a period of time. That that permissionless networking model seems to be pretty valuable from a business perspective. Absolutely, hugely valuable. We were locked into our MPLS provider before and they were good in some global markets and not good in others. And again, we we needed the flexibility as I was saying, let's say in Asia Pac, like if you go there, they have different providers that are more widely used and have better network connectivity and all that. So mm-hmm. long story short is we definitely needed more flexibility. We needed more bandwidth. We needed more carrier availability. We want to, to I mean, our vendor would tell us, let's say we go in some location. They said, well, we're not on that there. It'll take us a few months to get on that and all these pieces. We need it that we can't wait that long. We needed yeah. it fast. Yeah, yeah I don't think people unestim- see that always when they're evaluating SD-WAN. That idea that I can just go and use anybody's internet, uh, you know, that public networking or the public WAN, as I sometimes think of it. If you have a private WAN, you have to beg the private company to provision you. And if they feel like it, they'll install a circuit in their building when they get around to it. Whereas the public WAN is already pre-connected. It's already pre-wired. And quite, and because it's already pre-connected, that's often got better quality than the private WAN that gets hard provisioned in an in a funny sort of a way. More bandwidth is just more bandwidth. So you've got 70 distributed offices around the world. That rollout, how quick that deployment, you touched on it before in saying that you were using the zero touch capability. Was it literally just send the box to site and it would configure or was there a, is there some other part of that journey? We have much more offices nowadays with acquisitions and all that, but let's, I mean, let's think about it for about that number. Mm-hmm. It's um, to us, the, the slowdown, it took several years to roll this. And the, the several years was not so much any problem with technology and, and our, the solution we picked, it was more like our global network revamping the whole private cloud and public cloud and all that. So it was part of a bigger transformation. But the, the pieces, the, the rollout of the SD-WAN solution was pretty close to, at that time, zero-touch provisioning. Yes, you, roll, you send a box, you have somebody connected to the internet, plug in literally the internet circuits, obviously you have somebody there. But once you have that, obviously the solution is, it, you can go claim the box, and you have already predefined profiles. Let's say we have a few profiles of a site. Let's say this is like um, East Coast to Internet Circuit site. Hmm. Um, you just pick the profile and voila, everything is done. I would say you have few few details to add, like obviously circuit description and few site-specific things. But there, um, there's very little very little configuration once you put the profile. There are some, like, I mean, what routes you're going to be taking. There are a few specific site-specific things. And we got better with time, like mm. uh, where initially we had to do a little bit more manual work, but now literally everything is um, so easy. We don't have it. There was a specialized team before. Now it's, um, I mean, there's still team supporting that, but this is like totally 
business as usual. I'm almost hearing like you don't have to do this every day. You've got this massive company with, you know, 70 distributed up to 100 offices around the world, 60,000 employees, but you don't sound like you really know what's going on in the network. And that's kind of the way you want it in a way. Indeed, indeed. I, I was very involved with the SD-WAN solution initially until we get it up and running. Um, now the, the involvement is more like what are the new roadmaps, what new features, like let's say we're connecting offices directly to our public cloud providers, things like this. But again, it's more like just to keep it alive and have new features. If, if it's just to have it running and we're happy with it, we don't need much involvement at all. <laughs> It sounds like you're getting money for nothing. That's my kind of job. Now, <laughs> but I mean, it's a real, it's a real testimony to day two operations. Like, there's so much to do in network architecture. The SD WAN kind of takes away a lot of that work and lets you start focusing on things like security policy, monitoring, analytics. Like you're starting to, I imagine you're starting to look at how do you monitor user experience, and which internet provider is working at speed. So all of a sudden, you've gone from now I'm connected to quality of experience or something like that without having to do quality of service. So you're totally right. I mean, we now are focusing more on visibility, um, observability, obviously they're fancy words nowadays, but, mm. but there, is, there is a lot of data. The reality is that before we had more of a data of like packets and ports and latency, now we have the... F- full gamut of all the way to layer seven with applications and round trips for a specific application and response times and statistics. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's, you can, you can make a profession out of it. And obviously there is a lot in that field happening more like into visibility. There is just so much data that uh, we, we're yet to tap into that. Greg said the words QoS, which he knows is like a trigger word for me. I swear he did it on purpose just to make sure I was participating in this conversation. So, but fair question. Since you're you're at a point with this WAN where you don't have to think about it very much from a day-to-day perspective because it just runs, is QoS even a part of the equation or do you just not have to worry about it? You build your layer seven aware policies and let the boxes figure out the rest. It's a funny one. It's a trigger word for me because I was part of the, in my previous life, one of the biggest QS deployments in the world and it took years and a lot of work. And so anyway, I came very, kind uh, of CCAE type of mindset. Okay, show me the cues. I want to dig into the QS and <laughs> yep. all these pieces. And um, it was, um, it was fairly straightforward. It has QS. Um, you can actually still prioritize. The QS is much more user-friendly much more point and click. And I was a little bit taken aback. I remember at the beginning that the person I was working with and at that time called Genix was actually very, very uh, also savvy in the previous QoS deployments. Actually, we worked together on previous big QoS deployments. So it was, it, it took some time to convince me that, yes, is it, is it enough? Right. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm used to really heavy policies and details and all that. And, it was, it was totally enough. I mean, you have, yeah. you have enough QoS, obviously you can separate your voice, video, you name it, what you, you have to, but it is way less involved to configure, to classify, right? And remember before the classification in QoS, you had to deal with all kinds of crazy 
No, I'm, I'm sitting here shaking my head, remembering some of the QoS deployments that I've done that were so incredibly involved, especially back in the olden days when you had ATM and frame relay and MPLS and Ethernet handoffs and needed to prioritize all traffic the same across all of that and how difficult it was to get right, especially if you had multiple classes of traffic and then all the different techniques you'd need to apply to actually make this thing work the way you want it to. Queue management, how many are in the queue? How long have these packets been around, et cetera, all that stuff. I, I, I feel your pain there as well. And so if I was looking at the interface and it was point and click and fairly simple, I'd be going, hmm, this this doesn't seem granular enough. I don't know. So to hear you say that, yeah, it's there and you can do what you need to do and get it done and it just works is like, huh. That's nice to not have to drop down with CCIE skills from above to make the thing prioritize traffic the way you need. In, indeed. I mean, as I said, it was unsettling for me because I'm in CCE <laughs> and I've, yeah. I've done all so much digging that I, it looks like almost like you're moving from a, mm. like an engine with a combustion engine with whatever they say. It's 2000 parts or so to a electric car with two. <laughs> hundred parts and i mean it's like ooh, is it gonna run i mean can i fix fit can i tweak this this and then you, you realize you don't need to tweak a lot of these no, things it's the application yeah. itself yes. because it's application based application is already defined for you and there was a huge portion before in the qos to actually define yes. classify things yes right. yeah. so yeah. well i think the the key aspect here is it comes back to this a concept loose concept of automation that is when you do uh, quality of service in an SD-WAN environment, most of it's already done for you. The application recognition does all of the um, uh, recognition and the filters that you need to create to say, send this traffic this way and that way. And then inherently as part of SD-WAN and the flow monitoring, so you can divert the bandwidth, you know, with a sub, you know, with milliseconds of failover between the bandwidth or to take, to say that this is a slow path and this is the fast path. That's already 80% of course, but the last part is also the SD controller, which has the visibility and shows you the path of the performance of these flows and shows you the application. So you have the, the feedback loop, right? And then the second part is in course where you were configuring, if you had a network of 500 routers, you had 500 separate configurations that you had to do quite manually. Whereas in an SD-WAN situation, you say this policy needs to have this sort of performance and it sort of works it out for you in an automated fashion. Is that fair logic? Is that fair statement? Totally fair. I mean, it is, you're exactly right. It's the centralization, even though again, it tend, tended to be scary at the beginning, <laughs> uh, put everything in the same basket. Actually, it simplifies your life tremendously. We have just few QoS policies. We've simplified our QoS policy. It's it's already comes like the, the, the Prisma SD1 already yeah. comes with yeah. predefined applications that you can use. Obviously, you can change it like and few classes, and that's it. I mean, it applies to all routers. You don't need to think about it too much. I think the other side here is, of course, you got five times the bandwidth, so you don't really need cost. That's true, <laughs> absolutely. And the, and the, the other thing, you're be dealing with the internet circuits, right? So then, I mean. Obviously, that was a little bit unsettling. Well, how are you going to control like voice and all these pieces? Uh, you're on the internet. Turns out you didn't need to. You just didn't have enough bandwidth before. <laughs> that is true. I mean, obviously, if you think about it, QoS only comes for the most part when you don't have enough bandwidth. 
That's so, right. And we managed to get, you know, what was fundamentally swindled by the MPLS providers who said, oh, no, bandwidth is this precious limited commodity. You need to treat it like <laughs> gold and you shouldn't have too much of it. We can only give you a little bit and it's very expensive. Turns out not so much. I totally remember, to remember. I don't know if you, I mean, you've been around for a while. I think Sprint at the times was one carrier that did not have QoS in their core and was like startling to like Verizon, AT&T and others. And they said, well, we're going to, we're going with quantity of service. We're not going to go with quality of service. (laughs) (laughs) Quantity of service. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm going to steal that. Totally stealing that. So Kuma, this story that Yogi's telling us here is pretty conventional. We've heard this from lots of customers now. And I know that you've told me this time and time again over the years how does Prisma Access then cooperate with SD-WAN? How does, how does we bring the security part of this to the SD-WAN? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, such an important element, uh, once you get your base SD-WAN in place, or at least uh, with new customers, we're, we're seeing a lot of action where SD-WAN and Prisma Access are being deployed simultaneously. The foundational question really is that if from my branch office, I'm going to allow traffic to go directly to the cloud, to SaaS, et cetera, how do I also incorporate a security stack? And so when it comes to SD-WAN and cloud-delivered security integration, we see three important areas. The very first is, of course, hey, you want to make deployment very easy, right? You want one click, uh, you want the SD-WAN device to automatically know which is the closest node in the cloud based on performance, availability, et cetera, for each uh, traffic flow that goes in and out. And the second area really comes down to policy. Right, because how do you ensure that you have similar app IDs, user IDs, and you're able to specify a policy which incorporates both network with SD-WAN and security with cloud-delivered security? So that's where actually having a very tight alignment between the two then allows you to get to a model where you're specifying a policy, system is implementing it. The third area, I think, uh, starts getting into some very deep AI ops, day two operations work, even beyond what SD-WAN natively provided. If you think about it, right, when it comes to cloud-delivered security, oftentimes people are using it not only for the branch, but also for the home worker or remote worker. Uh, With COVID, we saw this massive increase in the number of remote workers. Uh, Data center-based VPNs did not scale. We allowed zero-trust network access using things in our case like Prisma Access, but in Mm. general with cloud-delivered security. Now, in our model, what we've said is that we can have a consistent model for that user, whether the user is at home or that user is uh, at the branch. And in all cases, we're exporting data from SD-WAN, from the home uh, client, uh, as well as any client-less options. So all of a sudden, we get to this place where there's such a huge richness of data that the ability to automate data operations, I think, goes to the next level. We're getting close to the end of the show. And one of the things that strikes me about what you've done, Yogi, at Salesforce is how this transformation was big and scary back in 2014. But in 2021, it sounds like you're hardly even aware that that transformation has been done. It's behind you. If you had some advice for anybody who's listening, thinking about starting down the the journey to SD-WAN or to access control or this thing, what would you suggest to them? Start now. And go do it. Um, yeah. It's it's scary only thinking about it. It's actually, it is literally like moving from a standard car to an electric car. It is much more modern. 
automation ready, has all the Ansible playbooks, or or if you are not ready with for automation, you can just use the central control plane, zero touch provision ready, all these fancy words that we you might be hearing or we might be hearing, you might not be there, but they're already built in. You don't mm-hmm. need to put massive effort. Yes, there is some learning curve like with anything else, but the learning curve I would say is much, much less than learning a new router or a new switch or whatever. Mm. Kumar, what about you? Would you have any words of, I mean, obviously you would like to see people start buying your SD-WAN today, but any other thoughts? Yeah, I'd encourage everyone to think about a complete SASE solution, right? Where you're incorporating SD-WAN and cloud-delivered security in one fell swoop. Because the reality is that if you have a multi-cloud strategy and uh, you're trying to also extract costs out of the system from a day two operational perspective, I mm. think SASE is here to stay. We saw about 50% of uh, SD-WAN customers uh, incorporate SASE into their environment last quarter. So right. you know, oh. making this complete solution deployment will continue to put you ahead of the curve. I think also we need to recognize that adding SASE, which is the bundling of security into the SD-WAN and moving it to the edge of the network, is also a form of automation. Instead of having a firewall or a security appliance, adding it into the SD-WAN and including the security right out at the very edge increases your security posture, but it's also automation in and of its own right. Well, on that note, thank you so much for listening to today's show. Thanks so much to Palo Alto Networks for sponsoring us today. If you want more information, go to paloaltonetworks.com slash prisma slash SD dash WAN. There's a whole bunch of information there that you could dive into the next details. Lots of white papers and videos and stuff like that. That's paloaltonetworks.com slash prisma slash SD dash WAN. You can follow them on Twitter as at prisma SD WAN. And they've got a page on LinkedIn, Prisma SD-WAN, as you might well imagine. As always, you can find this and many more fine free technical podcasts along with our community blog at packetpushes.net. Follow us on the Twitter as at packetpushes. Find us on LinkedIn and rate us on Apple Podcasts. And always, but never last, remember that too much networking would never be enough.